Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald face truth. Oregon State travels to Fresno, California, the Central Valley of California, the great agricultural community, that, that space, that swath of land with a million television households between Los Angeles and the Bay Area. The Beavers are going there on Saturday night. 7.30 kickoff. They will be playing Fresno State. Jeff Tedford, the former Oregon assistant, former Cal head coach, now Fresno State's head coach again, joining us. How are you, Coach? How hot it, How hot has it been this week in Fresno? It's been pretty warm. Yeah, you know, I, we practice, we're a morning practice team, so it's just a little over 100 uh, while practice is going on. But then, thankfully, we're not an afternoon practice team because it got up to be about 112 in the afternoon. So by that time, we're all back in our offices. And uh, But it, it's been warm, and some days are different than others because the humidity gets a little bit high, you know. But uh, kind of what we do here a little bit through the summer, so it hasn't been too bad. You got into this game because, it, because it's fun and you like football, I presume. But, you know, are you having fun? Like, you know, you've... You've been in some different places. Uh, I think, you know, our audience has a tremendous amount of respect for what you do, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But how much fun are you having? Well, it, it is. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, being around these kids and the staff, you know, really is it fulfills a purpose, you know. And uh, being off for two years like I was really kind of opened my eyes to that on how fortunate we are as coaches to be in this game and be around these young people and, and hopefully make a difference in their lives and have a chance to compete. Your health, you doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing great. Good. Yeah, I'm doing great. I, I healed up pretty – took about a year to heal up, but then uh, then I found out quickly that retirement really wasn't for me. <laughs> I, people keep telling me that. The rest of us yeah. are all focused on how soon can we retire, how soon can we retire. And then I talk to retired people, especially coaches, and they're like, nah, <laughs> stay working, stay busy. Uh, what kind of perspective does that give you when you get a break like that? A totally different perspective. It really does. You know, the, the break is one thing, and I had to I had to take a break to to kind of take care of some health uh, issues for that one year. But then after that, there's a lot of time on your hands. You know, when you're used to being a coach of just continually grinding and and having structure every day to something and and having a purpose every day. You know, and then. You go through all the paperwork with the retirement and things like that. I kind of went through Oregon purse stuff and all that stuff up there. And yeah. My days in Oregon and stuff. And so, I mean, all the paperwork was done and and kind of the finality of retirement just kind of hits you over the head. And it's like, wow, I, you know, I'm not sure if I'm ready for that. You know, so fortunately another opportunity uh, came up to coach and really happy where we're at. Now you've got Jake Hayner at quarterback. Uh, it's got to be a lot of fun to work with him. Uh, you know, when when you see him, how does he compare maybe to some other guys that you've coached over the years? Yeah, he's he's a special player, a special person. Uh, he is very driven uh, to be successful. He's totally committed to the game and and to what he does, his preparation. 
Um, and he's got a, his arm talent is is as good as anybody uh, that I've coached. And and so it. Uh, but I just think his demeanor, how he approaches a game, and his preparation is is really special. And he's a great team leader. The, the team's really the team really rallies around him. And uh, you know, so he's a he's a unique guy in, in the fact that. Uh, not everybody prepares and grinds like he does, and so uh, you know it's it's nice to see. I've known Jake for a long, long time since he was about nine years old. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, your time at Oregon, you were there from I think about ninety eight to two thousand one. A lot of success at Oregon. What what memories do you have of that time? Oh, all all great memories. Um, great teams, players, coaching staff. You know the camaraderie that we had there. The state of Oregon, really, you know, I just really, we really enjoyed it as a family, being there to raise our kids when they were small. Um, you know, it was, we just really enjoyed Oregon a lot, you know, and, um, you know, but success always helps, and we had a lot of great players, and Coach Bellotti did an excellent job uh, with the team there, and, and um, you know, so had a lot of, a lot of battles against the Beavers, and and, uh, you know, they're always hard-fought games, and so I have a tremendous amount of respect for Oregon State. Players always talk about that era at Oregon around, you know, 2000, 2001, and how Oregon probably, you know, in a four-team playoff, you would have been in there. You know, certainly in a 12-team playoff, you would have been in there. It, does that does that stick with a coach, or do you have to kind of mentally move on, you know, that that, that should have been an opportunity, a window to maybe compete for a national title? Well, there's nothing we could do, you know, we could do about that now. Um, we had success, and, you know, that one year uh, beating Colorado in the Fiesta Bowl was was pretty big. Um, had a chance to go to the Rose Bowl one year, and I believe Oregon State knocked us out of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we had opportunities to do special things, and, and we won a lot of games there. And, you know, so I don't ever look back at it and say, you know, what if or have any regrets whatsoever. You know, we we did our best to – to do what we could do and and uh you know had a lot of success and some things went our way and other things didn't you know but the year that we beat colorado in the fiesta bowl i think the day after they flew me out of there i was the head coach at cal so i didn't get a chance to go back and celebrate with anybody but i want to say we ended up second in the country that year or something like that uh, so that was fulfilling that was that was a special season jeff tedford fresno state head coach is with us Everywhere you've gone, you know, you have had success. Like, you have made offenses better when you're there as a coordinator. You've made programs better. When you went to Cal, all of a sudden you were in bowl games. I think it was like eight years in a row you made a bowl game. You go to Fresno State and, you know, you win 10, and then you win 12, and you go to two bowl games. Is there some formula to that that you're doing that is it, you know, when you walk through the door, what kinds of things are you thinking about right away as a head coach? Well, I think the number one thing is just surround yourself with good people. You know, great coaching staff and people like coming to work with every day, and and uh, really to try to to just um, create an environment of trust and confidence. You know, and, and never look back. You know, there's been two teams that we've taken over that won one game the year before, and we've kind of flipped it. But we never looked back on what happened the year before. It was just looking forward all the time, and. But, you know, I, we've been very fortunate to have a great coaching staff and and kids who really, you know, coming off one-win seasons, you know, that's not enjoyable. And so they're all really dedicated to, to turn things around. And, and so really I have a lot of, 
admiration and, and am appreciative of of the teams that we had that bought into you know the things that we were doing and what our culture and and what our standards were you know there's nothing magical about it i think it's just you know building an environment of trust and confidence i i got a chance to cover some fresno state teams i worked at the fresno b when pat hill was the coach and tark was the basketball coach and uh, I noted right away that the kids that were playing and suiting up for Fresno State, they had a chip on their shoulder. What is that about with those kids? You know, I don't really know. I, I, what I do know is I do know that they love playing football. I know that. You know, they they enjoy the process. They enjoy the preparation. Um, but they love playing football, and they're just they're into it, you know. And I don't know why that is. Um, you know, it's. Maybe there is some chips on their shoulders, you know, because maybe they're overlooked or what have you. But I think it's really easy when you come to the Valley to, to really gain that sense of pride uh, in the tradition here. And uh, so that the kids, I think, really come together, you know, as, as a team and as a family. And, uh, and they're very close teams. Every team that I've been around here, at least, has been a very close-knit unit. And this one's no different. You obviously got a chance to see some film on Oregon State uh, against Boise State. What'd you see? I saw a very well coached team, very physical team, very experienced team. Uh, guys who run around and play hard, um, and uh, you know their defense is very experienced. All juniors and seniors, except for the corner, who's a sophomore, um, and then on offense, you know they're they're built behind a great offensive line. Um, you know, who Jim Mahalchuk, the offensive line coach, uh, was our offensive line coach for 10 years at Cal. And uh, so I know what kind of work he does. Uh, he does a phenomenal job. And uh, Jonathan Smith got to be around him. And I know what kind of coach he is and the type of environment he creates. And so um, I have a lot of respect for him. You know, they, they played very, they play very well as a unit, complimentary football. You know, they, play hard on defense they got five turnovers last week and and offensively they can they can dominate the ball and the time of possession with the run game but then they can hurt you with play action pass big big plays over the top you know so i think it's a very strong unit and uh without a doubt and you know as we go into this new season i, I think it's really showing up what what jonathan has done there and the rest of his coaching staff and the team that they put together you had a chance to coach with him at Washington and get to know him a little bit, and I do think you had an influence on him as a play caller, uh, as a consultant, and I think that's really neat. When when you are calling a game, help us out. Like, I always try to make the audience smarter, make me smarter. You're calling a game. How much of it is feel? How much of it is before the game you kind of come in with some things you want to do and then situationally you'll draw upon that? How much of it is uh, analytics-driven or feel-driven, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Well, I, I think the game's changed a little bit with the analytic thing, um, you know, but um, I don't call our plays anymore. Coach Moore does here. And, um, you know, but I sat in the booth with Jonathan when he was calling the plays at, at UW, and I thought he had a great knack for calling plays. But I think it's, you know, it's through a lot of film study. You know, you, you watch a lot of film and you rehearse the game plan in your mind over and over. And, and I think typically good play callers know – the next play before they call the first one. You know, they're setting things up. 
uh, either for the next play or the next time they get on a hash mark or next time they get in a certain field zone. Uh, you know, they just have it in their mind about about how they want to attack certain things and, uh, you know, and then make adjustments, proper adjustments to, to what they're seeing new from a defense. And so, um, you know, but I, I have a – you know, I don't know that I saw on the sideline, it doesn't look like Johnson's calling the plays, but I'm sure – uh, he has them coached up and what he wants done. And, um, you know, so they do a very nice job. And I think the other thing is having an identity. And uh, they certainly have an identity on offense. There's no question about that they're going to come downhill at you and they're going to – but they have their gadget plays that they get you. And, you know, they make you kind of overload everything to try to stop their run. And, and then here it comes, a big play action or a reverse or – you know, a double pass or something like that, you know. So they're, they're very dangerous, and, and they do a very nice job of play calling there themselves. You know, you hit on something there because we always think of coaches as control freaks, but, you know, you, you were a play caller. Now you are the CEO of the program. I think Jonathan's letting, you know, Brian Lindgren call the plays. He may be in his ear a little bit. But how hard is that a hard thing to do, to give up control of something that you were in control of at a lot of different stops? It is, yeah, it is at first, and um, you know, but but I remember when I was a play caller, and if if you know, and, and thankfully people let left me alone to call plays, but I've also been from time to time where people are in your ear about, hey, do call this, call that, and you're trying to get in the rhythm and set things up, and then all of a sudden you have to call something different, and so I have an appreciation for the head coaches who let let the play caller do his job and uh, and not disrupt them. And there, there may be a time where you get in, in a certain area and say, hey, how about this or how about that? But, um, you know, mainly just try to leave them alone and get get in the flow, you know. And and I have a lot of trust in our guy uh, calling plays, and it looks like Jonathan does as well. Coach, before I cut you loose, uh, you, you know, you coached a bunch of guys who have won Super Bowls, Trent Dilfer and Aaron Rodgers, been first-round picks, David Carr, Joey Harrington, Achilles Smith, uh, Rodgers, Kyle Bowler. I mean, you've been around some good ones and, and played a role in that. It, how, what does that mean to you, to kind of look at that group and see what you have done to help develop them? Well, it's, it's, really, it's really special and neat, I think. You know, looking back now, at the, at the time you really don't get into that all that much of – of kind of um, looking at what happened. But I think the two years of looking back and seeing how they've all grown too, you know, and, and what they're doing now and, and those type of things. Obviously Aaron is still is still at it and, and probably the best in the game in my opinion. But, uh, you know, it's we went through a lot. Those guys, you know, all those first-round draft picks, they, they worked very hard at it. They were students of the game and they were – dedicated to the to their work and and uh, I felt like we all had great relationships and and um, and so I was always really proud that they were number one draft picks right and, and uh, you know but but they earned that and that was on them you know I was I was just there to help guide them but all those guys put in a lot of hard work to earn that back in the day at Fresno uh, Pat Hill used to say hey throw us a bone let us let us have a shot to compete for a national title in a given year. And I was there when David Carr and uh, the Bulldogs were running wild, right? It, it, this new expanded playoff, how important is it for you to see the Mountain West, to see Fresno State have an opportunity to compete in that kind of tournament? Well, I, I think 
whether it be us or or the Mountain West or whatever, I just think expanding it is is the right thing to do. I think there's so many good college football teams out there that, uh, you know, maybe they hit their stride at a certain time in the year or what have you. Um, you know, so I, I do think that, that having 12 teams, if, if that ends up being finalized and, and to go, then, you know, I, I just think it's good for college football in general, not necessarily for us or our conference or anything like that. But I think if people have special teams and special years, uh, you know, then then I think they should have the opportunity to compete for it. Coach, I appreciate you. You know, I, I like watching football games. Are you able – that's another question. Are you able to just watch a game ever, or are you always looking at formation, secondary coverage, you know, what's going on What's going on, on the field, or can you just sit back and watch? No, I, I kind of watch it as a – I kind of watch it as a, a coach. I don't watch it as a fan. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I'm always pressing my remote, running it back and forth. And my <laughs> wife, you know, it's like it's like you're in your office. You know, it's it's funny how, you know, your remote control doesn't work exactly like the clicker in your office, but you're always <laughs> trying to get it to rewind. You know, so but I, I watch it more. I think, yeah, you know, the first year I had off, I think I was more of a fan, but now I I kind of watch it. I'm back to the old days of. Of kind of evaluating things and seeing what are good plays and ideas and different ways to do things. Jeff Tedford, thank you. Thank you for your time. Good luck to you on Saturday. I will see you at the stadium. John, always nice talking to you. Thank you. Take Bye. care. You see too. You. Really interesting talk there with Jeff Tedford, the Fresno State coach. He has been, uh, people in the state of Oregon know him well, obviously, from his time at Oregon, but he has been all over from the Canadian Football League to being at Fresno State as a quarterbacks coach and then a coordinator and then Cal's head coach and in the NFL with the Buccaneers, of course, and then at Washington and now back at Fresno State, uh, healthy and, and doing well. A big get for Fresno State to get Jeff Tedford back in the fold. Uh, big game coming up Saturday. It's going to be warm there. It's going to cool off a little bit for game time, but I think it'll be in the mid to high 80s at kickoff at Bulldog Stadium, or whatever they're calling it now. Good stuff with Jeff Tedford. I want you to leave it locked in. You got the bald-faced truth statewide. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I think this could be potentially a really good or a really bad segment of radio, but I'm willing to roll the dice. Maybe it's 17 years of experience, Maybe it's the gambler in me. I don't know. Anna's popped into the studio. I have two topics I want to deal with here. First of all, I said to Anna during the commercial break, do you think we should talk about the queen? Queen Elizabeth, may her, may she rest in peace, has passed away. Anna, you said? Don't do it. Your listeners don't care. <laughs> I got in Stephen's ear during the commercial break. I said, Stephen, do our listeners care about the queen? Eh, no. <laughs> they don't care about the queen. Now, How I do, are we doing? I do think it's kind of silly that there's such a thing as a queen in uh, this era. Sure, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's kind of a ridiculous thing that I'm there's not, a monarchy and yeah. all this stuff. You and know? I'm not trying to disrespect the queen. Like, right. you know, all due respect to somebody who was on the throne for 70 years, the longest reign in, you know, the British monarchy, right? But... I just don't know that your sports fan listener. Well, can I push back listens. real quick on that? Yeah, push back. I, I love the the sports part of the show, but like for example, yesterday 
the Harry Styles saliva segment was my favorite segment of the show yesterday. You know what I mean? So who cares about that? But, you know, oftentimes with the four of us, it snowballs into something else that can be kind of mem- not that this is, you know, a laughing, mat- you know, a humorous thing, but uh, like Harry Styles was. But that's kind of my uh, my take on it. Yeah. Prince Sean has weighed in. He says that the monarchy is alive and well. And uh, but we went to Buckingham Palace, guys. It was it was uh, it was kind of a weird experience. And I remember Anna, we had that conversation, like you know, why there is such a thing. And by the way, it's a money drain on the uh, you know over there in the UK. It's a, it's a big. There's a big expense to having a royal family. You got security. You got a bunch of events that need to be put on. There's a there's a whole like the uh, the ballyhoo and the tomfoolery of this thing costs some money. I saw people uh, wondering whether, like, the the games tonight, NFL games, will have a moment of silence and respect for the Queen, and that's up for debate because a lot of people are like, wait, why would we have a moment of silence for the Queen across the The Queen pond? would want us to play on. Uh, there is a there, Ian Rappaport is saying they're going to have a moment of silence to recognize the passing of Queen Elizabeth. There they you go. They are. They there are. There you go. Interesting. I, can, I, can I respect the Queen? And now, is it a king now? Is that yeah, who it is? It's King Charles, man. So he went from Prince Charles to King Charles, right? Like that? There you go. That That's how that works. Do you think he Succession. smiled a little bit? Oh, jeez. Do you think just for Charles? a moment, he just got like, Gosh. he was really sad. It was his mom. But do you think like the corner of his lip kind of went up just a little bit? Because oh he's been waiting a while to be the so king. So dark. No? What you know who it? smiled? <laughs> Camilla smiled. It is like in the radio business, like, you know, for guys like me and Sean. You know, you're out, you're out, Gonzano. Well, we get a guest host. <laughs> That's you know? right. I'm sad that you're gone, but I also get to be on the radio board, so I'm yeah. excited. Gonzano's getting a heart transplant. <laughs> Sean and Steven are just like I'll be grinning. <laughs> grinning going, this is going to be better, great. John. He went a little short on that. I was like, gosh, you're hoping for his impending death. When he's talking about his mortality, you're like, yes. No, yes. I, 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 don't wish, I, I don't wish evil on him, but I mean, I just want him out for a couple days. You know, give me a shot. Especially during the football season, not yeah. in the summer, huh? Yeah. You know, that summer stuff is not as good. Um, but so the queen is uh, is resting in peace, so to speak. Yeah, 96 years old. It's a good life. Man. That's a good life. Where are you on the moment of silence thing? Do you think it's weird that NFL games tonight will, you know, honor her passing with a moment of silence? I don't know what it's even about, moment of silence. Like, I, I, I feel like, you know, when the... Shooting happened in Uvalde, and everybody was, you know, we, I, I was, everybody's moved by that. That's yeah. a moment of silence. Yeah. The queen, she's 96. She had a good, that's a good life. Yeah. She did a lot of good things, mm-hmm. you know, and you look back at her life, and you're like, that's a, a life well lived. Like, we should be applauding that. It's not a tragedy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like a moment of silence should be reserved for a tragedy, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Can we have a little, uh little bit of guidelines on the moment of silence. So we should have like a standing ovation. Yeah. The queen is dead. and The whole stadium does the wave. Say so that's for Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. What think, a life well lived. Yeah, the monarchy would really like that. <laughs> yeah, it would go over yeah, well. Yeah, that would go over real well. Especially I from Americans. Know, yeah. Right. From Americans. From those Yankees. Um, I wonder if like this is going to mend the rift between old Harry and uh, Meghan. You know, how they left their royal titles and yeah, stuff. Yeah, but wasn't there their issue was not with grandma. No, it wasn't with grandma, but I mean yeah, their issue know. was with the lifestyle. But what I'm saying is like with her passing, they're obviously going to have to 
make their way back to England for the funeral and everything, and I wonder if that will somehow, you know, bring the I don't know, man. I, I kind of feel like that ship sailed because didn't they just walk away from – like they didn't want to have to do all the stuff that the royal family has to do, but they still get like it's not like they're living in poverty, right? Like you know they still live in a good life and they're traveling all over. They just don't have to go to all these events and pretend to wave and be happy. I know one of the headlines I saw recently was uh, they weren't sure they could afford that mansion in Montecito they're living in. I was like, oh gosh, some serious nail biting for them. You know, they have to, you have to crawl back to the king. Yeah. <laughs> They're digging in their couch for some some yeah. spare change for that mansion. Uh -huh. Nah, I don't think okay. it changes them at all. I have a, all right. Second part of this segment, the, mm -hmm. it's more of a media strategy question. And Anna, I think you are uniquely qualified to speak on this. Brett Yormark, the pe the Big Twelve Commissioner, has been very outspoken, uh, and he's banging the drum a lot, and he's causing a lot of unrest in the Pac-12 footprint. Uh, you know, talking about he wants to go west, he wants to get into the fourth time zone. You know, uh, you know, there's posturing like he would like to come after some Pac-12 schools. Um, doesn't seem like the Pac-12 is going to splinter or anything. Meanwhile, on the other side of this, George Kleofkoff has been very quiet. Mm -hmm. Outside of Media Day where he fired back and kind of was not collegial, he has been silent. He hasn't made any public comments. There is some speculation out there that it, is your mark getting it right by showing his conference how hard he's working and talking all the time and drumming up all the conversations, is Klyovkov missing something by either not himself saying anything or not maybe even leaking anything about their ongoing media negotiation? What's the right play? I don't think it's necessarily bad for Klyovkov to stay quiet if there's nothing to be reported right now. So, and, and I think you and I had kind of a different take on Media Day and the so-called, you know, spiciness of his comments. I was underwhelmed. I really thought, like, that they would come out on Media Day and have something much more significant to announce, something much sharper than the things that he said, something about not being open for business or something like that, right? We're not sure if we're going to go shopping there. Right, yeah. that. So I needed more. I needed more of a punchback. And so far we haven't heard it. And I'm okay that he hasn't done that if there isn't significant progress being made. What if he, his plan is to come out with a massive announcement that is overwhelming and that's why we were so quiet. And that is actually my hope. I mean, I know, like, you know, technically as journalists, we're neutral parties to all of this, and we're just kind of talking about it. But I, I do hope for the Pac-12 and the health of the conference's future that he does have something big in the works that he's waiting to announce because it just impacts so many people and so many schools and so many student-athletes, you know, all along this western seaboard. So that is my hope, that he's like a lion waiting and waiting, you know, lying in wait and going to come out with something that is impactful um, my, my in the short term. My theory on your mark in the Big 12 is that he knows there's – I think he's got very few options. They, they, they're not going to have a media deal done before the Pac-12. Yeah. I don't think they're going to add any Pac-12 members because I think those members are all going to sign back on with the Pac-12, including – Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah. And I think he's kind of done expanding. So I think he's making noise now so that later the perception is he was working and scrambling behind the scenes all the time. He didn't get anything done, but, man, he was out there working. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's fine. If Looking you, busy when you're not really busy. Sure. And that's fine if he wants to do that. But the problem with that is that if you truly don't get anything done, your words come back and bite you in the you know what. And so there is wisdom, I think, in this phase for Klyovkov to hold off until there is something significant. Because if Jormark continues to blab on like this, it eventually kind of becomes white noise, right? Because you just start to not trust that his words have any significance. I asked a, one of the Four Corners ADs about Jormark's quote about getting into the West and all that. Because it doesn't really fit. If you think about it, the Arizona schools are not in the Pacific time zone. Utah and Colorado aren't in the Pacific time zone. So what is he really talking about when he's saying, is he talking about San Diego State or Boise State or Portland State? I don't know. So here's what, here's what the AD said to me. The AD said, quote, I have no idea what he's talking about. He just continues to throw stuff out to disrupt. Seems like some level of desperation, end quote. I don't know why, but when you wrote about that today, I kept thinking about Oregon, but it's not Oregon, right? I don't think it could be. Like, why would Oregon go to the Big 12? I know, but when he's yeah. talking about the brand and the culture and whether it's a good fit, I don't know enough about, you know, the different cultures to know whether Oregon's a good fit, but I know that you've said that you've not heard anything along those lines. Yeah, I think if Oregon jumps, Oregon jumps to the Big 10. There's not, I, there's not another great move. And right now, because the playoff expansion happened, I think Oregon, it behooves Oregon to sit tight because I think they've got a path to the playoff that's far easier. You want to go to the Big Ten and have to get through Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Penn State? I don't think so. So I think if you're Oregon, you sit tight. Unless the Big Ten tells you, hey, come on in, we'll give you the 70 or 80 million, uh, and you can, you can be fat and happy, and you know maybe you, you get one of those at-large berths. But if you stay in the Pac-12, I think Oregon has a chance in like a decade, like in a typical decade, to get to the playoff maybe three times, four times if they have you know, a great run. And so the, all of a sudden, it's kind of like Gonzaga being in the WCC. Gonzaga's got a really nice path to the NCAA tournament. They don't have to play anybody, uh, you know, outside of like St. Mary's and UP and San Diego State or San Diego. Mm -hmm. and, but they don't have to play the big boys to get to the big boys. They can be a one seed coming from, you know, a conference that's a small conference relative to the ACC or the SEC or the Pac-12. Hmm. John, I got a question for you real quick. Um, being that Brett Yorbrock being out ahead of everything and talking all these uh, all this nonsense as you would say, kind of you know, with nothing to really stick with, and Kleofkov standing in the back, that puts a lot of trust if you're a Pac-12 fan in George Kleofkov to make the right moves. And we're not hearing about it, we're not seeing any of it. And knowing the Pac-12's history, I know it's Larry Scott; he made a bad bad decisions, but it's hard to trust the conference just in general. Do you trust the conference and Klyovkov that they are making all the right moves behind the scenes and just not bringing it up? Mostly. I'm a little worried about the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors. I think Klyovkov's smart, but he's dealing with some people like Michael Crow at Arizona State. They were enablers. They were enablers for Larry Scott for years, so that does make me a little uneasy. I do think Klyovkov should be talking, Anna. I think he should be talking a little bit. Do an interview. Do one interview where you say, hey, we're having tremendous discussions. We're feeling good. But I also think there's some strength in staying quiet and going, we're good, man. I don't know. That's a hard one because the people that like I consult with on, on media issues, 
you know, what I always tell clients is, hey, as much as possible when there's major news, you want to be the person controlling the narrative. And whether that means that you're leaking information to reporters because you don't want to be the direct source, named source on a story, or if you, you know, are selective in the interviews that you do. Generally, I do advise people to control the narrative as much as possible. And so, yeah, maybe there, there is a window here where, especially with, you know, what Stephen is saying, there is, I think, distrust among the Pac-12, the fans within the conference, because we got so blindsided. I mean, just the very fact that USC and UCLA were able to pull off this exit that was apparently months and months in the making and nobody seemed to even know about it, that's a massive breach of trust for the people that, you know, root for the teams within this conference. Yeah, I think that probably is what's so unsettling. But meanwhile, I do have um, a significant number of athletic directors in the conference that are willing to talk to me. They don't want their names attached to their quotes. Um, I, you know, I think I understand why, but it, it's I feel like pretty soon the Pac-12 has got to say something. Got to got to take command of the so narrative. So you're in this conversation with them. Are they impatient? They are sounding like they're being communicated. They were at the very beginning of this process. They were having daily meetings, daily Zoom meetings. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because they're in crisis mode. That went on for about seven or eight days. Okay. Daily meetings. Then a weekend came, and they didn't meet. And the following Monday, I had two ads go. Hey, that was nice to okay. not have like that kind of anxiety over the weekend okay. and now they've gone to once a week meetings so they're kind of getting updates from the conference and what I'm being told and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase what I'm getting from a few ADs they feel like as long as Oregon stays in the conference the conference stays together the 10 members if Oregon leaves I had one AD say if Oregon leaves it's run for the hills and and and, and I think we all kind of knew that I don't think that's breaking news to anybody but he said, "Look, if Oregon doesn't leave, we're all we're pulling together. Like this is not. You know, why would anybody go to the Big Twelve to have <sighs> the same amount of money?" Okay, this gives me anxiety because that is just not a healthy dynamic. The fact that all of these conference members are hoping, betting, and praying that Oregon stays like that is way too much leverage on one school within the conference. Yeah, but I think Oregon. You know, Oregon is to their to their credit, they have made the playoff. They play in the NCAA tournament. And I th actually think your Mark's comments were probably aimed right at people like you, Anna, who went to Oregon as like, oh, would Oregon go to the Big 12? It doesn't make any sense, Oregon and the Big 12. But it, but it goes to what Anna was saying is that, you know, or like the trust issue. The Pac-12 lost UCLA and USC, and there was no words about it. So what is – why should I trust the Pac-12 that they're going to keep Oregon when they are the one school that matters? So yeah. at any time, they could just leave to the Big 10, and then the Pac-12 is done. Like that's yeah. the part that I have a hard time with. Yeah, and I think Oregon's been quiet as well. I asked Rob Mullins uh, to do a Q&A. I asked him to come on the show. He said, uh, I will, but he's not willing to do it now, which is <laughs> the conversation that we need to have now. Um, literally so, head in hand. Let's if he's do trying it. to be quiet about it, that makes me well, nervous too. I but I also think it's not his call, and his university president left. Like, the AD's not making that decision. I know. That decision's happening at the university president level and in Phil Knight's living room. Okay, that's when that decision's <laughs> happening. I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but 
If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.